Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf show. I'm Ted Rodericco, and right alongside each and every week um, is none other than Legends Tour player and LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are, of course, are your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Uh, we got a great show, and um, we're going to have our first uh, guest coming on this morning, Brittany Fan. She's uh, on the Epson Tour now and uh, has been playing for a number of years. We're going to talk to her in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, you and I are going to spin our way through the no BS zone uh, and have a great discussion uh, on some quick tips to help your next golf outing. So we'll do that after the show. Uh, and I have a little bit of a, an announcement to make, uh, and I'll do it at that time. But um, uh, Brittany is, is uh, from Pearl City, Hawaii, and was uh, only the second Hawaii golfer to play for the Colorado women's golf team. Uh, she also graduated from the University of Colorado in 2018. And in 2019, her first year as a professional golfer, she had already had two victories in pro tournaments. Uh, not a bad way to start, I would say. Both uh, fans' pro wins uh, so far happened on the Cactus Tour, uh, the highly competitive Arizona circuit for golfers looking to make the jump to the Epson Tour and eventually to the LPGA Tour. Uh, so, Cindy, let's welcome our uh, guest this morning, Brittany Fan. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You said you were in the car. Where are you going? I am actually headed to the next Epson event, which is out here in Florida, at Alakwa Golf Club. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Are you playing a practice round today? Yes. So I actually have a practice round scheduled in about two hours or so. <laughs> Marvelous. Are you going to play 18 holes? Yep. That is the plan. Um, it's kind of been, this is going to be a six-week stretch for me, so this is the first week out of the six, so I'm pretty excited to go. Awesome, awesome. How do you, I have a question, how do you pace yourself so you don't get totally burned out and exhausted? Uh, well, you know, basically every opportunity that I get to play, you know, I try to play in every single tournament just because it helps, you know, towards experience and ranking, of course. But for me personally, I like to give myself an off day once a week. And then I also throw in some, you know, some exercise, some meditation, just some me time just to kind of get away from everything. Um, and then I also think it's really important to stay on top of your sleep and your diet. Awesome. Ted? Yeah. 
Well, uh, be safe on your travels, as I said to you uh, off air. We don't want to uh, have you uh, uh, having to suddenly swerve and miss anything, but um, <laughs> we definitely don't want to have that happen uh, while we're live here on the show at all, really. But uh, So let me ask you something. I want to go back a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned, you had a, a couple of yeah. uh, professional wins on the Cactus Tour, but before we do that, I wanted to ask you, um, you had a pretty good start as a junior uh, before heading to play for the Colorado women's golf team. Who helped create Brittany the player early in your game? Who were some of your uh, earlier memories of how you got into the game and who were some of the instrumental coaches or professionals that have helped elevate you to where you are now? So it's kind of a funny story. I started golf at 12. Um, and before that, I was doing the complete opposite of sports, singing, dancing, wanted to try out for Disney Channel. I was actually making a CD. And basically what happened, one day I went to go pick up my brother from practice with my dad, and I'm just, you know, screwing around with the golf club on the range, just making some swings. And his coach walks over and gives me a couple pointers. And then next thing you know, I'm just smashing the ball, and I pretty much got hooked from there. Um, and, you know, I did realize that I started a little bit late, um, a lot of, girls typically start around the age of six, you know, give or take a couple of years. So starting at 12, I was like, all right, I've, you know, I've got a lot of things to catch up on. I ended up working with um, the coach that I had from the age of 12 to 20 when I was out in Hawaii. And, you know, I just remember having to work extra hard, you know, just grinding just, just to catch up. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really looked at Annika Thornstam for inspiration because, you know, she also started late at 12. And I, the, the passion kind of always came from the inside out. You know, like I never had my parents standing over me saying, you know, you have to practice. They've always been very supportive, and it actually has been the opposite where, you know, I was like, oh, are you, are you done with practice yet? Um, so for me, I was, always, <laughs> I was always passionate about it, um, never forced to do it. And, you know, I kind of just fell in love with it. I loved every aspect of it, the grind, the ups, the downs. I think it teaches you a lot about life also. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I went to college, you know, I was fortunate enough to – so actually, here's what happened. I was sitting in class my junior year in high school. It was a trigonometry class, I remember, and I was staring out the window, so bored out of my mind. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I could be at the golf course right now. And then it kind of light bulb kind of went off, and I was like, I could be at the golf course right now. So basically, long story short, what I did is I went to the counselor and the board of directors, and the school that I was attending at that time, you know, it's one of those schools that you have to prove that you have Hawaiian blood to go to, and a lot of kids try out, and it's just like a very, it's hard to get into. So one of the things that I wanted to do was, you know, be able to pursue golf, but also get my diploma from that high school. So after talking to you know, all these people, we basically came up with two choices. Um, they presented me with a contract, which is basically, you know, take off the rest of my junior year and then come back my senior year or take the rest of my year and a half off and do homeschooling. But I'd still be able to get my diploma, but I wouldn't be able to do things like go to prom, walking commencement, you know, song contest, which are all pretty big deals for someone in high school. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it was a pretty easy choice. So I took the year and a half off, and that allowed me to practice a lot more during the day. I could travel with less restriction, and I did homeschooling. And then college came around. Um, I was fortunate enough to have options, and I pretty much, you know, narrowed it down to Central and West Coast schools. And what I found when I was visiting schools is that, you know, 
a lot of them provide the same similar things in terms of, you know, uh, education and facilities and that kind of thing. But for me, my decision was based on the coaches. Um, and then I really had to think, you know, like the name of a school, everyone, it seems like, is so obsessed with, I have to go to this school, I have to go to this school, they're the best. But what I found when I was visiting schools is it's more where can I go where I can personally develop the best. And so for me, I ended up choosing Colorado. I really love the coaches. You know, I did my research before visiting schools, and I just every aspect about them and, you know, how they thought about the game, the perspective, and how they thought they could make me a better person and player. And, yeah, I had an awesome experience. That was great. And then pro golf came around. So, you know, you have people telling you all the time, it's a lonely road and you've got to prepare for this and you've got to do this. And, you know, you kind of just sit there and you're like, yeah, it's like I'm listening, but it's also like, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it's definitely, it's, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting experience. I've been, I would say that I've grown a ton in the last year and a half to two years. And part of that is, you know, my perspective has completely changed, you know. I played really well my senior year of college, and I came out, and for that first year and a half, I would say, you know, you, you, you kind of adult in college, but you don't fully adult until you graduate because you still have people doing things for you in college. And for me, it was kind of a little shock. Um, you know, you no longer were surrounded by friends that were all within 10 minutes. You're kind of away from your family. You're figuring out how this works exactly. But I would say the biggest things that I've learned in the last – year and a half is one and I know it's a little bit harder for professional athletes but athletes in general I learned how to separate my self-worth and my value from my sport and I think that's a huge thing to kind of realize because you know you put a lot of time energy and effort into what you do but then you also have to figure out you know who am I without my sport like who am I as a person and I think that just gives a whole new perspective when you go out and you play rounds. You have a lot more fun, and you can be serious and have fun. That's the thing. And then, yeah, well uh, said. And, yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I learned, too, is, um, you know, especially when you're in, you know, coming out of college and transitioning, you kind of act like if you have a bad round or if you miss a cut or whatever, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> And, for, you know, that just makes it a little emotionally unstable. You're kind of up and down, and you just, you just don't enjoy it as much anymore. So then I kind of have to step back and, uh, you know, kind of go back to when I started golf at 12 and remind myself, okay, why did I start? What did I love so much about the game? And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by a very supportive and solid family. You know, I've got some mentors helping me. And perspective-wise, I would say, you know, I get to wake up healthy every day. I get to do what I love. Um, you know, there, there's so many other things that could be going on that is even more stressful. So I'm just, you know, practicing gratitude and that kind of thing has really helped me this season, I think. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. You you obviously had a lot of uh, very positive takeaways from all of those experiences. And you're right, it, it is very similar to mimicking life. I mean, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have disappointments. You're going to have uh, some great times as well. But it's how you view it, the lens that you view it through, is really um, is the deciding factor of whether it's going to be a good experience or a bad experience overall. And it seems that you obviously grabbed the, the proverbial bull by the horn very early on in your career, and it's uh, served you well 
uh, not just from the physical game, but mentally as well. It's prepared you for the life that you've chosen, and I think that's very important. Um, Cindy, go ahead. What do you like best about playing on tour? What do I like best? You know, I think it's just, ooh, that's, you know, that's a really hard one. I think it's just everything together, just the the ability to travel to new places and meet new pe- people, make new connections, and do what you love at the same time. Um <laughs> You know, it's obviously not like a normal nine-to-five job. This is something very different. So I love every aspect of it. I, you know, I know it's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of behind-the-scenes things, but, you know, I I love working hard and I love the grind, and it's just I love that satisfying feeling of working towards something. Um, But, yeah, you know what? I think I've visited over half the states, I think. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And what's the best part of your game? Ooh, you know, I'd say the best part of my game is irons, and I am also currently working on making putting and the mental aspect, the strength. Um, For me personally, yeah, I play my best with irons, putting, and mental. Tee shots, to me, I'm like, all right, yeah, overrated. Just get it in in play on grass and you have a shot. (laughs) But, yeah. Awesome. So what type of player do you think you would consider, if you were to put yourself in a box of how I play, would you consider yourself to be a field player or more of a field player or something different? Yep, I would definitely say that I am a field player. Uh, I have noticed certain things when I play in tournaments, for example. So for me, um, like when I play my best, and I, I make this a point to tell, you know, the caddy that's working for me that week. I, I tell him I play my best when I'm laughing and I'm having fun and I'm loose. And, you know, because everybody's already so tense and so serious when you're warming up. And especially the first, you know, tee-off shot in the first couple holes, you know, you can kind of feel the adrenaline and a little bit of the tenseness in your shoulders and your arms. So I always make it a point to tell my caddy, you know, crack a joke. You know, let's have a conversation in between shots. Let's just loosen it up a little bit because, I mean, you've done – you know, God knows how many thousands or not millions of reps your body knows what to do. It's kind of just freeing it up and ironically not caring so much. <laughs> and I'm definitely a field player. Um, you know, even when I'm working with my coaches, t- t- technical is, you know, one aspect, but basically what we try to do is we try to create fields that I can do consistently and under pressure. And if those fields match mm-hmm. what's happening, happening physically, then, you know, that's how I repeat it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's important. I think you're right. There is always going to be somewhat of a technical aspect to the game, but some players develop more of a feel, and when they are in that zone and they have that feeling, everything seems to gel, and when that feeling seems to occasionally slip away, then they're sort of out of sorts. I want to ask you sort of a follow-up. You mentioned about caddies, you know, and I say this respectfully to all the hardworking caddies out there. Obviously, week to week, uh, you may not have the opportunity to have the same person uh, go with you or um, you might get uh, somebody that's assigned to you. What do you do? How do you handle a situation personally if you get paired up with a caddy and you're just not, you're sort of just not feeling the relationship? In other words, maybe they're not, um, 
not working well for you. How do you handle that situation? Do you kind of withdraw and focus yourself, or do you try to engage them even more uh, to get them more involved? Sometimes it just doesn't, just the relationships just don't work. We've seen that on the PGA Tour and LPGA Tour over the years where caddy and player just don't seem to, to gel well. Um, and obviously that relationship is short-lived. But in your case, what do you do if you get a caddy one week and, and it just you're just not feeling it? So, you know, I try to avoid putting myself in that situation the best I can. So, um, you know, one of the caddies, I worked with a couple different ones last season, but one of the caddies that I really liked that I wanted to work with, you know, I kind of asked him, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be at this tournament. Do you know anybody that's going to be working this week? Who you think would get along with me? Um, so I have to help, you know, have a couple of good friends who are caddies that try to find a good match for me because I'm, I'm pretty specific when it comes to certain things. Like, for me, I like a very neutral caddy. Um, whether I shoot 66 or 75, I shouldn't be able to tell if I look at your face and yell your reaction and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a very positive person, so it's like, you know, if you hit a bad shot, you don't need it amplified by your caddy making a gesture or sound or anything like that. Um, and then I'm also a very simplistic player. So, you know, that caddy that talks to other caddies for me, he knows that literally I just need three things. Give me the number you know, where you think I should hit this and where the mint is. That's literally it. But, I mean, if you do end up in a situation where you don't have the ideal caddy, I think you just kind of ignore it and do your own thing. Like, you're still a team and they're there to do a job, but you don't have to be best friends. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. But does it kind of. does it throw you off, though? Does a situation like that throw you off your game a little bit? Have you found that? Or are you able to disconnect enough to say, okay, um, you know, I'm not really feeling this, this caddy here. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to, you know, uh, get from him what I need uh, to help me navigate the course. Um, but I'm going to compartmentalize, I guess is the word I'm looking for, and focus on my game and not worry about... Um, having that sort of, and I hate to use this term, and again, I apologize to all the caddies out there, um, negative energy, <laughs> let's say, that you might be receiving. You know what? That's exactly what you have to do. Um, I'd say probably the worst thing that they could do is show negative emotion out of anything, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. I, I have actually had a caddy that I could tell um, after I hit some shots, you know, the reaction on his face, and you can just kind of feel the vibe changes a little bit. But what I do is I kind of just, in between shots, I'll look at nature, I'll kind of zone out and just try to bring myself back to the present. And that's all you really can do. <laughs> yeah, and I think for the most part, I think, you know, uh, that's not going to be the situation, but I'm sure it arises. And it's always interesting to hear from a player's perspective how they handle that. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, you had a couple of uh, wins on the Cactus Tour and that. What experience, I mean, obviously that's a W in, in the win column for you. Um, but what did you draw from those experiences that are helping you now in your career? Besides the fact that you won the tournaments, um, what did you learn from those experience on how to handle yourself um, and knowing that you have the ability to win? You know, I think a big part of it was just going out into the round. And whether it's the first round or the final round, it's just another round of golf. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you get, you know, to the bigger tournaments. Um, but that's kind of the way you have to view it. You kind of just need to walk out there. And it, it's almost going to come off as like a 
confident, cocky, arrogance um, mm-hmm. kind of mood. But you literally have to walk into the tournament knowing that you're good, you know, despite a previous round, despite, you know, maybe errors that you made or despite what people think. And you just have to basically not give a, you know, whatever, and just go in there and play for you like it's another round of golf. <laughs> Again, very you know, right. easier said than done. I, there's a lot of mental training that goes behind that. Uh, for me, I think it was like a good confidence booster coming out of college. Um, and then, you know, when you get to the a little bit more competitive circuit, you realize just how good everybody is. You know, when you think you're good, you mm-hmm. actually have to get better. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought it was a good confidence boost for me. Well, and I think you're in good company. I mean, it served Tiger Woods well for uh, much of his career. You know, he didn't go in there with the attitude, well, it'd be nice if I make it in the top ten this week. I mean, he went in there with the expectations of winning every week. Right. And I think when you have that confidence, and I mean, you know, just as you pointed out, I mean, a lot of people very early on in his career when he first came out and said, hello, world, um, they thought, well, who the heck is this kid? You know, or who does he think he is? Well, he showed him pretty darn quick, uh, especially when he won his first Masters. Um, but, um, yeah, you have to have a, a certain attitude if you want to be successful, I, I mean, not so much that you're brazenly, um, you know, bullying everybody out in the golf course, but you have to have a certain element of confidence out there if you want to be a top-rated uh, player. Um, Cindy, go ahead. What do you do for fun when you're not playing? Ooh, well, if I'm on the road. Um, I really like exploring, you know, the towns and the places that we go to. Sometimes I'll uh, link up with a couple other people that I like to travel with out here, and we'll do something fun just away from golf, whether that be, you know, go check out this hike or go check out this um, this view or this restaurant. Um, if I'm in the off-season, I enjoy having me dates, and I like hiking and baking and just kind of kind of doing the things that you don't really get to do when you're on the road. <laughs> Something that a normal 20-something-year-old um, can do when they have some free time. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, Brittany, let me ask you, um, if golf was not, and I repeat, not on your radar, what do you think your career would be? That is so funny. You know, I ask a lot of players that, too. You know, sometimes during our practice around, I'm like, what would you be doing if you didn't golf? You know, I honestly, I think I would have gone the uh, singing, dancing Disney Channel route if I didn't, you know, go to the driving range that one day. But then I think to myself, I really like sports, and I like, the, you know, the character that it builds and the things that it teaches you. So maybe volleyball. <laughs> hmm? Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I think it's I think it's I think it's good though, you know, that you obviously picked up the game um as you pointed out, not as early maybe as, as some others might have, uh, but you got bitten by the bug very early and you've really grappled with, with what you had to do to to get to where you are. Um and I think that's important. I think, you know, again, just to, to go back to what I said a moment ago you know, you can't go in to this profession and be at a high level and not put, um, obviously you have to be realistic based on your level, but you have to go in with a positive attitude and say, you know what, I'm coming out here and I'm going to beat the brains out of all the other gals out here 
on tour uh, today. And I mean, you do it not in a in a, a negative way, but in a way of with confidence, as you said, um, because otherwise you're not going to last very long um, if you just sort of come out there and willy-nilly do it and that. What are your short and long-term goals? Well, my goals for, let's just start off with this week. I think the first thing is, you know, always make the cut. Because when you make the cut, it adds money to your ranking. And, you know, long-term, that helps when it gets to the end of the season. Um, Mm -hmm. A little bit of a longer-term goal would be, you know, Obviously, place top 10 at the end of, se- end of the season, but if you don't, top 35 so you can go to final stage and compete from there. Um, and then also, you know, some, like, self-development and character things to work on. Um, so for me, I've been reading some books that my mentors have recommended, and a lot of it is just, you know, it's kind of just like you practice your golf game every day, you have to practice your mental game every day. And it's having, you know, that ability – because you can have all these external sources telling, you know, telling you, like, oh, you're good, oh, I believe in you. But until you actually, you know, harness that from within, it just starts from the inside out. You know, that is something that you'll constantly be working on. So those are kind of some goals to keep it short. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, you know, that's important, too. I mean, you know, it's it's not just a matter of going out in the golf course and, and uh, the practice tee and working on your game, you have to set goals and you have to, you know, do it in such a way that um, some of them are very attainable and some are just a little out of reach. So it causes you and forces you to work that much harder to achieve those goals. And then obviously you want an overall big goal. And that is, again, maybe to, uh, in your case, it might be to uh, get out on the LPGA tour full time and battle it out and, and you know, uh, win some majors and, and all of that good stuff. So it's important to have those goals. And I think if you don't have them, it's, it's harder really, to, I think, to stay focused. But it sounds like you've got a good game plan and, and a good head on your shoulders. And uh, I certainly wish you luck. Cindy, any final thoughts or questions that you have for Brittany? Yeah, I've got kind of a deep one that might take a second. I went and looked at your stats, and clearly you can go low. Let me ask you, because we've got a lot of listeners that um, may not, well, they're definitely not as good as you are, uh, most of them, and I want to know what the difference is between you shooting a 67 and an 80, and is it mindset you didn't have the right, the, you know, the swing wasn't comfortable, uh, you weren't as lucky? Because you've got to be pretty good to shoot 67. And I, we've all shot 80 or I've shot way higher than that and missed the mm-hmm. cut and, and thought, you know, I've got this, but why do I not have it all the time? So what could you tell our audience right. about that? Well, I think it's important to observe yourself during those rounds so some of the things that I noticed is when I shot those low rounds I wasn't trying so hard you know everything came a lot more naturally um Mm -hmm. just very freed up uh not thinking a ton about technical things and kind of just being in the present and letting it happen and then I kind of noticed on those other rounds um Sometimes it would be a little bit of the swing where it's like, okay, it was a little inconsistent today. You know, I was missing greens and I wasn't getting up and down. Or, you know, sometimes you have those side thoughts come in where it's like you take a bogey here and then you bogey the next hole and it kind of just, you can feel it wearing on you a little bit. And, I, you know, you just can't 
snap yourself out of that little, uh, I guess, that little moment. Um, and it just kind of weighs down on you through the rest of the round. But the, the biggest thing from last season versus this season in terms of, like, stats, you know, I told – I started working with some new coaches starting, you know, kind of end of January and, or end of December into January. So maybe, like, six months, five months now. I, I told them, I was like, you know, here's what I do when I play well, and here's the areas that I think you need to get better. And one of the biggest things for me was consistency with the golf swing. Um, I think when you're on the road and you don't see your coaches as often – you know, it's hard to watch everything. Yes, you're a good player, and you can kind of feel things, and you can check some things, but you can't see everything. Um, so, you know, one of the biggest things I said, I was like, I just need to be able to have a consistent swing that I can count on under pressure, and especially when I don't check in with you, you know, a couple times a week or every week. When we go, like, for this, for example, and I'm a six-week stretch right now. This is the first week. You know, I'm not going to see my coach for six weeks. So, how can we move my swing from where it was to where it is now and just have it be consistent? Um, and how do you do I that? Like do you FaceTime? Yeah, we'll FaceTime. I'll send videos. And then, you know, when I do check in with him, we have all these, you know, specific drills. I'm like, okay, this one works for this one. This one helps me check this one. So, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a responsibility from yourself as well, you know, just staying on top of it but also checking in with your coach. Um about it. But yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing is I I I believe you're not super technical from what I've heard you say. So maybe when you simplify, like our son was at a he played college golf at Ohio State and Augusta State and they had to go to the the mental sports trainer, right? The sports psychologist right. for the school. And his golf coach was really technical and analytical and Jamie was like, I, I just can't do this. And the sports psychologist said, absolutely simplify it. I want you to scan it, plan it, see it, do it. And that helped him so much to not be so left brain and be aware of those who are trying to make him left brain and like run away. Cause it's like, no, that's not going to help me. Everybody's different. Right. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Right. So, and honestly, I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Like when I first started golfing, you know, the coach that I worked with was extremely technical and very like swing dominant. And then it's kind of shifted, you know, when I changed, when I went to college basically and had those college coaches, it just showed me a different perspective. Yeah. Hmm. You just, I think it's the more you know yourself, the better you can be. So good yeah. job, my dear. <laughs> Go have some fun and let it rip. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brittany, thank you very much for joining Cindy and I this morning. We really appreciate you taking time, and uh, we're glad. It sounds like you may have made it safely to your, your destination. Have a good practice round. And uh, go out and win this week so you can come back on the show next week. All right. I like it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Good luck, All right. Honey. Thanks, Brittany. All right. Yeah, good luck. Right. Bye-bye. Uh, Brittany Fan, uh, very interesting, uh, really good head on her shoulders, Cindy, uh, very positive uh, for sure, and uh, and I think, you know, really what I was talking about a, a little bit ago about the confidence level, I mean, you know, she sort of referred to it as, you know, a cockiness and arrogance that sometimes people perceive it as that, but I don't really think it's that, you know, there's a difference, um, 
you know, when, when people go out, and, that, and that's why I threw Tiger in there, because he's probably one of the best examples of late that I can think of, um, you know, when he came out on tour, that was sort of the perception a lot of people uh, ahead of him, because he was very confident uh, in himself, and he didn't mind letting everybody know it. But I think as his game continued to develop, and as he got out there and started winning, and, and really, you know, for lack of better words, really dominated for, for some time, people recognized that that was, um, it for him anyways, now it may not work for everybody, but for him, that was his his way of saying, okay, I'm going to come out here, today I'm going to master this course, and I'm going to go out and do what I need to do in order to accomplish the goal that I have. And obviously it didn't always work, because it's just not going to happen, you're not going to win every tournament, but gosh, he sure did win a heck of a lot of them, so I mean... <laughs> There's something to be said for, for having that, that type of attitude. But, again, it doesn't work for everybody. So I think, as you pointed out, too, you know, everybody's different. So you have to find what works for you. And in his case, and obviously it sounds in Brittany's case, that she goes out with that, that confidence and uh, that self-assuredness, and I think that's important. But got to move on. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, I, I wanted to make a note. I'm going to do a little bit more thursday night on uh, my other program golf talk live but uh, very good friend of of mine and also a uh, uh, golf friend if you will in the industry uh, tim kramer uh, passed away yesterday morning he was the uh, founder of uh, peak performance mind coaching and um, he succumbed to uh, uh, an illness that he had uh, uh, developed over the last year uh, sort of resurfaced I won't get into specific details uh, to, of respect for his family and, and so forth, but um, obviously he uh, uh, struggled here towards the end, but did go peacefully, as I understand it, from his uh, partner. And um, But he uh, he was not only a regular contributor on Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner and also a guest, and he had actually been a guest here, as I mentioned, Cindy, uh, a few years back uh, on the Women of Golf. And then he also contributed, um, since I took over Golf Tips Magazine, uh, from the mental side of the game, he had some very uh, uh, great articles, featured articles in the uh, Golf Tips magazine. So he's certainly going to be uh, sorely missed, and uh, our thoughts and our prayers uh, go out to uh, uh, Julianne, his, his partner, and uh, his family. But um, I just want to make note of that, and I will be uh, mentioning that uh, in a little bit more detail on Thursday night. All right, Cindy, we're going to go into the no BS zone, as I said, and um, these are some quick tips uh, really to help your next golf outing. Everybody uh, has um, uh, some things that they need to do if they want to play their best, uh, whether it be their club championship uh, or some other events. And even for the pros, there are certain things that I think that they need to um, adhere to. And I think the first one uh, is obviously good, and I say daily, nutrition. Um, Cindy, do you try to, I mean, I know we all uh, slip every once in a while, but particularly when you're gearing up for events. I mean, I think you probably do all the time, but uh, do you try to you know, watch your nutrition to make sure that you're eating as healthily as you can? Obviously, you've got to have some, some fun uh, meals as well, but um, do you try to uh, adhere to that, or have you tried to adhere to that to make sure that you're going to have good energy when you get out there in the golf course? I'm trying to eat better now all the time, but sometimes it's difficult mm -hmm. because um, I love cheeseburgers and fries. <laughs> right. But I am trying to be a big <laughs> Don't girl. we all? I, even make, I made some salads, and I took them to the range with me, believe it or not. So I guess there is hope, no matter how old you are, that you can turn right. the corner and try to be a little more healthy. 
But yeah, I'm kind of busted on this one. <clears throat> yeah, well, well, why the reason why I say that is obviously today's game is is a lot different than um, you know when I first started uh, learning this game, and and uh, you know it wasn't uncommon to. Uh, to grab the old chili uh, dog uh, at the turn on the golf course. And, you know, now we, we look at things and a lot of foods and, and certainly drinks uh, can be detrimental to your game if you're not too careful. And we're not trying to take away fun. We don't necessarily mean you have to eat like a rabbit and eat salad all the time and so forth. But I think certain foods give you good energy. And, you know, Jack Nicholas talked about it in his Golf My Way that he ate certain things that gave him protein and, and whatnot. Even during his round, he would put, pack something um, you know, sort of a, a little snack bag, if you will. And he, he carried that uh, with him around the golf course so that he had uh, good energy uh, throughout the round because otherwise you, you start to, uh, to crash. And that also involves um, not just eating well, but also making sure you're staying hydrated. That's a big one. I think that, Cindy, more so than the eating, I think is the biggest culprit why so many, particularly amateurs and even some professionals, really struggle with their game is they don't stay hydrated and they start getting around that, uh, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th hole and they're starting to feel, you know, the old sluggishness starting to hit and then they just more or less coast the last few holes. Um, also, golf fitness is something that's really ramped up. That's the next one. Uh, you know, again, I think you would probably agree things have changed a lot out on tour uh, again, not to throw his name out there, but Tiger was a big one, especially for the men. And I know Annika and, and others uh, on the ladies' tour really uh, brought that to the forefront for a lot of people. And that doesn't mean everybody was out of shape or anything, but they really focused on that. Um, what do you think about that? I think that's something, too, for a number of reasons, not just to give you uh, help you with energy and, and strength and, and that, but stamina and also, um, I think, helps to reduce injuries. What do you think? I agree. I agree. I'm actually, I have a trainer, <laughs> believe oh. it or not. And, um, yeah, shocking. But when I played, I mean, it wasn't even discussed to work out or whatever. But now it's, it's, there's a fitness trailer on tour and a chiropractor and a physical therapist. And, right. yeah, absolutely, you need to stay in shape. So, and stamina-wise, you know, our son's playing in a 117-hole marathon, I called him yesterday. Mm -hmm. He said, I just got off the Peloton. I, di I lifted weights. You know, I'm sitting in a sauna blanket drinking my water. And he's like, I just, I got to be able to finish these 117 holes. So <laughs> for charity, again, you know, everybody's different, but m almost all tour players work out now. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think if I, uh, I think if I entered a 107 hole uh, marathon event, I think somebody would be checking my mental capacity because I don't think I could do it. I'd probably be dropping dead. But kudos to Jamie for for doing that. Um, you know, and he's obviously he's he's young enough to to be able to do that right now. Um, the other one too is saying this is again another I think a really a big one, and that is and I know you do a lot of things to help your students, particularly um, students that maybe go on your boot camp and that. Um, and that is to how to prioritize your time on the range. You have to do some range work. There's differences. There's warm-ups before the round, and then there's actually a deep dive, getting into the lessons and, and working on some of the fundamentals and other areas of the game. Um, give us an example maybe of things that you try to do with your students to how to help them prioritize that range time. You know, I've lately I'm on a mission to help people learn to think 
I, mm-hmm. Most people just stand up there and rake and hit, and they're not even thinking about what they're doing. And mm-hmm. then they get ticked off because they don't hit the ball where they want it to go. Well, if you don't know what you're doing with the club, you can't hit the ball where you want it to go. So I believe you need to have a process and think about, you know, where do I, am I aiming at something? Where do I want the ball to go? What club am I using? Do I know how to aim properly? Do I have a pre-shot routine? And do I have a simple swing thought while I'm doing this? And if you don't, Mm -hmm. then you have not earned the right to get ticked off at what you're doing because you don't know what you're doing because you're not thinking about it. What do you think? Yeah, and we, we, yeah, I, I agree. We see that so many times. Uh, I see that all the time. I go up and, you know, I'll practice myself, which I don't always get as much time as I'd like to, um, just with so many other things as, as you are. I'm, I'm starting to spin a few more plates as well. And on a side note, I just joined uh, a gym the other day because I, when I got back from my trip on Pinehurst, I realized I needed to, <laughs> I needed to get back in the gym. But uh, anyways, um, but yeah, on the range, I, I agree. I see all the time people just raking and hitting and, you know, they're hitting some good shots and that. And then, you know, sometimes when I venture back into the clubhouse a little bit later on and I hear them, the same people I saw hitting pretty good on the range, they're saying, I just don't know what happened on hole number seven and just everything fell apart. And it's because they're not able to prepare themselves properly or adequately and they get out there on the golf course, and it's an entirely different environment. Now there's pressure added. There's other things, factors to be considered. You're now playing with, you know, two, three other people. And uh, so that adds some pressure. And if you throw a little money on that, some people like to, you know, bet a little bit as they play, especially, in, in you know, with your, with your friends and so forth. Um, now you've heaped on a whole lot of pressure. I had a friend back home for years. Uh, you know, he's a pretty decent golfer. Not the greatest, but a pretty decent golfer. But, boy, you put a couple dollars on a hole, and it was like – I don't know where he came from, but it was like he couldn't play worth beans. And, you know, I used to just tell him, I said, just pretend we're not playing for money. And, um, you know, you just have to mentally prepare yourself. And that brings me to the next one, is preparing yourself mentally for the round or a tournament. Um, what did you do, Cindy, for personally? I mean, you played a lot of LPGA and, and obviously uh, subsequently L, uh, Legend Tour events. What did you do, if anything, to prepare yourself mentally? Well, again... I played in a tournament in Phoenix a couple weeks ago, and I I thought, why don't you really pay attention? Because you're not gonna you're not finishing in the top, you're not finishing at the end at the bottom. But why don't you work on what you're doing while you're out here? Let's pay attention to the the task at hand. And I really focused on what I would do if I hit it really good, and what I would do if I hit it bad. And I found that there was a lot of tension in my arm, and mm-hmm. Um, I tried to relax my arms, and then I would hit it better. So on the plane on the way home, I texted myself my whole process. Mm -hmm. Now, you can practice without hitting balls, which is what I've been doing. Okay, you're going to walk in, you open your right hands on the club, you can see where you're going, you're going to pretend you're tossing a ball underhand to check, top of your arms on the side of your chest, your right hands under, you know, all this stuff. Why am I doing that? That's what I'm practicing mentally because – if you know what you're doing with the club and you can hit the ball where you want it to go, what could you shoot? The whole point yep. of this is to swing the club to tell the ball where to go and then put it in the hole. And if you did that, what would you shoot? Well, it's like simplify yep. it. And yeah, and, and go yeah, ahead. sorry, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say, what I was going to add to that is what I was going to add to that is 
first and foremost, you have to make sure that what you are working on, whether it's you know in your mind or whether it's physically, is that you're doing the right things. Um, because you can practice, you can think about all you want. If it's not correct or if it's not accurate, um, then that's going to be a whole another problem. And that's why you know I think it's important to make sure that you're working with somebody that's going to give you the information you need to be able to swing the club properly. And that's the other thing is everybody's, well, I can't hit the ball. Well, you're not really hitting the ball. The ball's just getting in the way. You're swinging the golf club. And there's certain things that you need to understand on how that function works properly. Um, now, sometimes there's variations. We've seen all kinds of different types of swings uh, on all of the tours. But essentially, there's certain key elements that are, are consistent among them all, regardless of who they are. Um, and once you understand that, and once you're able to put that information together accurately, then yeah, you, you don't even have to be out on the driving range, uh, Cindy. You can be just thinking whether you're on a, a flight somewhere, maybe on your way to a tournament, or maybe you're um, certainly, I'm not suggesting you do that where you're driving down the street, but if you're the passenger uh, and you're heading for a nice uh, golf vacation with your, your partner or spouse, um, then that's an opportunity to mentally prepare yourself and, and get ready for whatever uh, rounds or, or tournaments may be coming your way. So I think that's... Uh, uh, a, a great tip as well. And and obviously, you know yourself, as you pointed out earlier, you have to understand yourself and and be confident. You know yourself enough, Cindy, to know what works and what doesn't work for you, correct? Absolutely. And sometimes you have to try different things, and you need quiet time on, mm-hmm. the, on the range to sift through that. But again, if you're not aware of what you're doing and paying attention – and focusing and thinking, then you haven't earned the right to get tipped. Because, you know, just, if you stop and think about what you're doing and you find a system that works for you, you're going to enjoy the game a lot more. Yes, exactly. And, you know, just going back to the range real quickly, I mean, I, I, I kid you not, and this is, this is somewhat of an exaggeration, but I have... I, I try now when I go to the range just to sort of work on my own game or, or practice, what have you, I try to go to the far end of the range because I don't know what it is, but it's like a magnet. I always seem to attract these people that I don't know whether they're trying to show off or whatever, but I, one day not too long ago I was up at the range and I thought I was sitting in a machine uh, machine gun uh, nest because this guy just, I mean, rake hit, rake hit, right, and it's just a pop, 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 pop like this. And I looked up and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You're never going to improve. And there were, you know, one was going left, one was going right, one was, you know, a worm burner, one was doing something else. And he just, and the point I'm making is he was not really thinking about what he was doing. He was just hitting the ball for the sake of hitting it. And I can just imagine what goes through his head when he's out on the golf course. He's probably saying to himself, I can't figure out why I'm not playing well. Well, because you're not preparing well, and you're not not just physically, but you're not mentally preparing well as, uh, either. The last one, Cindy, is, um, and this is one we're all going to um, be faced with, and that is disappointment. But the, the key is how you handle it. So this is something I know that I'm sure you work a lot with uh, some of the golfers that you've had um, at various different levels. Um, how do you handle disappointment? We're all going to have it. We're all going to have some bad rounds. I had a, 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 some bad rounds uh, up at uh, Pinehurst just uh, the other week and uh, had some great shots and played some, some pretty good golf on some aspects, but then I had some 
not so good uh, efforts as well. And, but that's my own fault. I don't get out as much as I should. But um, I didn't let it get me down. I handled myself appropriately, and I just, like water, let it roll off uh, the duck's back. How do you handle disappointment? And what do you suggest for our listeners out there if they find themselves going down that rabbit hole? How do they navigate back to a more positive um, thought process? Well, again, you know, guess who's holding the club? And if you evaluate your shot, the ball is the evidence of what you did with the club. So if you can stop and say, okay, I hit that one way right. Why did it do that? What did I do with the club? And then, you know, for me, it's like you've got to have realistic expectations. If you're not practicing and working on your game and knowing what you're doing, you, again, you can't get mad. You can try, but it's not going to work, right? Um, So it's all about, like what you just said, let the water off a duck's back. How much of your practice, you know, can you expect realistic expectations? You know, do you really know what you're doing with the club? Well, if you don't, then let's try to learn what to do with the club so you can hit it better. And so many times people come in and say, well, i got to work on my driver. And I go, okay, what do you shoot? A <laughs> hundred. I said, okay, how many times do you hit your driver in a round? Well, I don't know, 18. I go, well, no, it's typically 14. And if you're shooting 110, right. you know, I, there's a lot of other shots. We don't need driver. Let's just hit it straight down the fairway 150 yards. You know, yep. unless you want to be a long driver, then we got to work on that. But Again, it's it's yeah. helping people think so that they can get better and not beat themselves up. I think so many people, yep. you know, just beat themselves up when they they have to have realistic realistic expectations. You know, I, I very quickly, and then we'll we'll wrap up a few minutes early. Um, you know, I've actually on the on the lesson T, I've said to people, you know, we're going to go out, and we're going to uh, play. A few holes we're going to do a playing lesson now and i'll actually physically take the driver out of their bag and i'll say we're not going to use the driver and they're like well what what wait a minute well, how am i going to hit i said i'm going to show you and to do just exactly you know if they can hit it 150 160 yards down the middle or certainly somewhere in the in the fairway they've got a chance but if they're hitting yep. it 200 with their driver and they're in the woods, they're in the rough, or they're here or there and skipping into the pond, you know, they've already got off to a bad start. I watched, you know, years ago, and I've mentioned it on the show before, uh, Wally Armstrong, who uh, was on the Golf Channel many, many years ago, and he was actually a guest on Golf Talk Live one night, and I actually mentioned this to him. And he, he played with a 7-iron wedge um, and a putter. He played three holes, par 4, 5, and par 3. And he shot one under par. And it proved the purpose of the, of the demonstration was to show that you don't have to be hitting it a mile. If you know what you're doing with the clubs in your hand, you're going to be able to score on any golf course. And they were certainly challenging holes that he was playing. They were not, you know, anything easy. So, you know, again, you're right. You see somebody coming out there with their driver and they're focusing and saying, well, I'm, I'm not playing well and it's because I'm not driving the ball well. Well, there's a certain element of truth to that, but the, if you were to really isolate their game, probably 75 yards and in around that green, they're terrible. Um, their putting's probably not good. Their wedge play is not good. Their bunker play, all that kind of stuff. They're probably losing easily 20-plus strokes 
if not more, in that area alone. So take the driver out of the bag, focus on the other areas of the game, work on those things, and practice with a purpose when you go to the driving range. Don't just rake and hit balls. Um, great discussion, Cindy, as always. I think hopefully um, people took away from this. And if not, go back to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf after the show, and you can listen to the recorded version and go through some of those points again. But um, Cindy, great show as always. Glad to be back on air with you, of course. And uh, we will uh, be back again next week with another great guest and uh, some great, interesting discussion. So on that note, thanks again to Brittany Fan for joining us this morning, and we will see you next week on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.